This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on China Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band if you are in Southern Africa. You can also find us on channelafrica.co.za if you want to stream us. My name is Spumela Lezondi. I'm with Joalana Tulo, Usani Matebula and Mosibuti Makura. Your top stories. At least 15 people have been killed in a fire at a market in Nairobi. Congolese continue to plead for the country to have a new constitution ahead of elections. Healthcare of African women in dire straits after Trump's global gag rule. In economic news, South Africa's utility ESCOM has tabled a revised offer of a 6.2% increase to unions. And in sports, Senegal is Africa's last hope at the FIFA World Cup. Joanne Netulo has the news. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Political and social activists in the Democratic Republic of Congo are continuing to call for change to the constitution. They say the constitution adopted in February 2016 is not inclusive. The call comes six months ahead of the elections. Among other things, the constitution does not allow for more than one citizenship. National Secretary of the People's Party for Reconstruction and Democracy, Claude Mashala, elaborates. It's like concerning uh, that uh, Article 10, talking about uh, the exclusivity of our nationality. So many will not be allowed to participate to this election only by the fact that uh, they have two or three nationalities. It is avoided by the actual uh, law. But we need uh, to have um, an inclusive constitution to allow all those who are still thinking that the Congo is also their country to come and uh, participate to this uh, development fight for our country. You can see that uh, even in Congo Brazzaville is working like that in Rwanda, Uganda and so on. Why not in DRC? Police in Kenya are investigating the cause of the fire at Nairobi's largest open-air market, Kikoma. Fifteen people are now feared dead and 70 injured after a fire broke out at the market in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, in the early hours of this morning. Property has also been damaged. The victims have been taken to the Kenyatta National Hospital. The BBC's Ansoy has more. St. John's Ambulance says the fire gutted parts of the market and neighboring residential houses. Witnesses say some of the victims were burned beyond recognition, while others appeared to have choked from smoke. Police are investigating the cause of the night fire. Gikomba is one of the largest markets for second-hand clothes in East Africa. The affected section also has timber yards. The market has in the past had several incidents of fire. President Uhuru Kenyatta ordered an inquiry last year, but the findings were never made public. 
10 suspected militants have been killed and two arrested in police raids across Egypt. This comes as the hunt for the perpetrators of a deadly car bomb attack continue. Those targeted are reportedly members of Hassam, a jihadist group, which authorities have linked to the outlawed Muslim Brotherhood. They were allegedly involved in a car bombing in March on the eve of the elections. Six militants were killed and a weapons cache unearthed as security forces raided a hideout in Beria province north of Cairo. Asylum seekers in South Africa will soon be able to know within a day of applying whether their asylum seekers permit has been granted or not. Home Affairs Minister Malusi Kikaba says the pilot project of automating asylum seekers applications carried out at the Desmond Dutu Refugee Reception Centre in the capital Pretoria have been a, a resounding success. He was briefing the media in Johannesburg. People no longer have to wait a year or even two years for their asylum claims to be adjudicated. It can happen within one day. In most instances, it takes place all within a day. Because we do not want someone who has run away from their country for fear of persecution to now come to South Africa to experience um, further disruption to their lives as a result of inefficiencies on our part. We will be extending these services to Cape Town, Port Elizabeth and to Musina. And finally, a court in Tel Aviv has convicted an American-Israeli teenager for making hundreds of threats to bomb or attack Jewish schools, community centers, and other institutions in the U.S., Britain, and other countries. The prosecution says the 19-year-old has spread panic for several months. The teenager, Michael Ron David Kada, has also been found guilty of extortion, money laundering, and assaulting a police officer. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Seventeen oh five Central African time. Led a start in Nairobi, in Kenya, where a huge fire has killed fifteen people in the east of the capital. More than seventy others were injured in the blaze, which broke out in the early hours of this morning, destroying several properties. Kenyan authorities have yet to comment on what led to the fire. Our correspondent James Shimanyula was at the scene of the fire and filed this report. <laughs> This is the spot where fire raged. Last night, you can see a lot of uh, work in the background. Electricity has been uh, cut. At night, fire started here. It caught uh, sponges. It caught uh, a power line and then the power line uh, collapsed. Fire raged throughout. It says they're clearing the place and then see what the government says here. People dealing with the extinction fire. I just uh, driving uh, to the place where the fire is still smoldering and uh, they are clearing the place so that it's clean. I can now see here two gentlemen arranging. Uh, a pile of uh, timber that was uh, destroyed by fire. This is the place where fire engulfed several structures. It looks like uh, this was a place where timber was kept. A lot of timber has been spoiled. Corrugated iron sheets lie here everywhere. 
lot of smoke. We are about to hear the Nairobi County Commissioner, Amos Mariba, who is just standing close to me here. Actually, this fire broke out at 2 a.m. this morning, and uh, so far we have confirmed that uh, we have lost 15 people. Nine of them died at the scene. We have also five who died on their way to Kenyatta National Hospital. We have 70 people admitted at Kenyatta National Hospital. Would you probably say how many are facing danger, maybe ICU cases? At this moment, eight of them, we've been told, are in critical condition, and uh, 26 receiving emergency, they're being uh, addressed. Looking at Gikomba, it's famous for fires at the second-hand selling areas. Now, this is another scene across the river east of Nairobi. Looking at Gikomba, being famous as it is, is this the first time that it has happened like this, claiming many lives? Indeed, this is not the first time. Plans are there to see that uh, these measures, there are measures to mitigate these things from happening. And uh, there is a plan to reconstruct the market so that uh, in future we avoid having such fires. Would you probably say it is heavily congested to the extent that there is no space for people to escape? I've just spoken to a woman who said that people are running helter-skelter without knowing where to go because of space. Indeed, uh, Gikomba is uh, congested and I would like to urge uh, traders to explore other markets. We have so many ma other markets in Nairobi and uh, the neighboring uh, metropolitan um, city markets so that uh, we decongest this area. How long did it take for security personnel to reach here apart from the fire people? Security personnel Im arrived immediately and actually we have set up a multi-agency team here in composed of uh, national government administration, national police service, national disaster operation center, national disaster management unit, we have also Kenya Red Cross, we have uh, other stakeholders also in Nairobi City County are the key players and uh, we brought in uh, seven fire engines supported by water boosters and also we have uh, over 10 ambulances that were doing the rescue, conducting the rescue mission. That was the Nairobi County Commissioner Amos Mariba. I also caught up with a cross section of Kenyans at the site of the fire. Let's hear what they say. My suggestion is to reduce congestion here because there is a lot of houses and also these big buildings, they have to be removed. People should not be living where the business is going on. The government should know the various places that people are congested. They should separate people from businesses and they should want people from staying congested areas. I think what the government should do, uh, they should relocate those people. Uh, they should be separated with the business. Because, look, as you can see, you, ne you never know. Maybe there is an enmity between the businessmen and business ladies. So, and that, that might be the cause of the fire. So uh, what the government should do is have to separate or to relocate those people. Those were voices of Kenyans at the site where fire engulfed buildings, killing 15 people and injuring more than 70 others. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. 
Only six months remain for the Democratic Republic of Congo to hold its elections. But some other Congolese political and social actors continue to plead for the country to have a new constitution. They believe the constitution underway since February 2006 doesn't match the current situation of the country and is not inclusive since it does not allow more than one citizenship. Jean-Noël Bamwenze reports from Kinshasa. The current constitution here in the Democratic Republic of Congo was designed to stalk stakeholders held in Sun City in South Africa in order to solve conflicts that had put this country down for long. Most of Congolese actors, being political or social, believe the different delegations who were part of the Sun City discussions tried to adapt the constitution to the situation this country was facing at that very time, since the main aim was to solve armed conflicts. And according to this political actor, who's the National Secretary of the People's Party for Reconstruction and Democracy, Claude Mashala, this country's constitution needs really to be changed since it's not inclusive. It's like concerning uh, that uh, Article 10, talking about uh, the exclusivity of our nationality. So many will not be allowed to participate to this election only by the fact that uh, they have two or three nationalities. It is avoided by the actual law. But we need uh, to have um, an inclusive constitution to allow all those who are still thinking that Congo is also their country to come and uh, participate to this uh, development fight for our country. You can see that uh, even in Congo Brazzaville is working like that in Rwanda, Uganda, and so on. Why not in DRC? But you are willing now to change. Actually, uh, this change could be done now. This could um, give enough opportunity to all those who have two or three citizenship to come and also candidate. That is why we're still uh, supporting that uh, willing of uh, seeing our country having another constitution which is going to be more inclusive. Speaking about a constitution that's more inclusive here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, most of this country's political and social actors emphasize the dual citizenship. The current constitution is very strict as far as the Congolese citizenship is concerned, but several observers believe this is one of the reasons that has always pushed the DRC to remain behind. So many people from the Congolese diaspora have dual citizenship and have a quite rich experience and more skills to help develop this country but are not welcome here by law this member of the civil society who's also from the diaspora believes this country would need referendum before the upcoming elections Alumba Lukamba DRC need uh, to go to referendum because our constitution was designed to bring different uh, groups together to reduce tension. But now we don't have war, we don't have rebels group in the capital city or taking some uh, provinces and so on. But now some of the clause of our constitution is no longer aligned with our current situation. Most of the country in Africa or in the globe, they adopted the policy of uh, dual citizenship. And those policy of dual citizenship is helping also their country to grow, to develop. Because when diaspora are coming back, they are bringing three things. They are bringing their knowledge and skills. They are bringing the resources they took abroad. 
they are bringing also their network because when we are outside we are actually exposed to many network we are bringing also some of our friends some of our network to come here to invest in the country to develop the country but if there's no dual citizenship if i'm a congolese i got like a canadian citizenship if they want me to work here i will be working as a Canadian, and they will be paying me money using the Canadian standard. While I'm a Congolese, they can even pay me using the Congolese standard. Who's losing the process is the government. This constitution and dual citizenship related matter remains a serious issue here. People have resumed discussing about it since when it was revealed that opposition leader Moses Katumbi is holding an Italian citizenship while he's one of the candidates to the upcoming presidential election. Jean Noel Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. It is 17:16 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. My name is Spumele Lezondi, with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. This is Praveen Gordon, the Minister of Public Enterprises, and I'm listening to Channel Africa. Let's go to the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the main opposition, Union for Democracy and Social Progress, UDPS, says the voting machines that government is planning to introduce in this year's highly anticipated presidential election will open at the process of to man, will open the process rather to manipulation as candidates face an august deadline to declare the voting machines have become a focus of growing concern in the central african country that the vote could be tampered with despite demands by the drc's three main opposition parties that the voting machines not be used in the election the president of the electoral commission Koneli nanga has recently warned that without the machines there will be no elections on December 23, 2018. According to Abraham Luakabuanga, a UDPS president spokesperson, the machines will increase the risk of fraud and voting irregularities which have plagued previous elections. The main issue we are facing in the DRC is uh, uh, actually the way that uh, this machine has been introduced. First of all, if you look at the law, at the, our constitution, nowhere it says that we have to use this type of machine. Even though President Nanga decided to uh, bring them on the table, we asked a few questions about about the, 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 the functions of the machine, which, how, how does it operate, what type of, uh, of software is being used. Because, you know, in some other countries, even in the big countries, such as general countries, such as the U.S., or uh, if I may say, for example, those machines bring a lot of controversy. So we ask several questions about uh, uh, we are... We are not uh, confident because we think that this is a large scam that can lead to a, a vast uh, electronic fraud. Now, in a statement uh, made by Jean-Pierre Calamba, the Electoral uh, Commission repertoire, he said that the machines are not uh, cheating machines, but these machines are being brought in to simplify and reduce costs. And he went further to say that without these machines, there will not be elections on December 23rd. How do you respond to this, Mr. Abraham? We do have two steps. The first one is Jean-Pierre Calamba, even though uh, 
He has been sent to the, the, the Independent Commission, uh, Electoral Commission. Actually, the UDPS uh, party has been asking several times for that gentleman to be withdrawn from the Senate. We have already submitted uh, the name of uh, the new person that has to be our representative. So, actually, Mr. Jean-Pierre Kalanda uh, is not representing no more the UDPS because everything is being saying is in favor of um, President Kabila. Second point is when they say they want to reduce the cost, it's okay. They, but the main issue is this. We're going to have over 100,000 polling stations. How many machines are they going to put? Just think about the struggle that we do have, electricity struggle in the DRC. Uh, in case of one machine doesn't work, are they going to have a second one as a, uh, as a supply? We don't know. But it's not only that. It's also the fact that this is a scam. Every Congolese people are aware about what happened in 2011, what happened in 2006. This is what was the, the best time for them to introduce this machine. We've been asking for this machine to be used for an external uh, uh, audit being made. We need the international community. Even the international community came in saying that we need, they need when they said they. The same the independent commission, information, and put people in a such uh, a confident way by providing all information that are needed for us to go to, uh, to the elections. Another fact, sir, can you imagine that the South Korean embassy in the DRC actually has a, put, a, put out a statement saying that they are not going to back the manufacturer of these machines saying that the manufacturer is not reliable. So we're talking about at the highest level. Can you imagine the ambassador, his excellency of, uh, of uh, South Korea in the DRC declare and send out a statement saying his country is not going to back up the manufacturer. Can you imagine? So we as a Congolese, we're asking even the country where the, the machines are, are built, they're saying that they are not confident, not, that, that person is not reliable. You are saying that uh, the post-election audit must be done instead of uh, using these electronic machines, uh, but the auditing process can also be manipulated, isn't it? It can be manipulated, but now listen, it's going to be, we will have the civil society, politician, uh, political parties, the government, and we can bring also the international community. So we're going to have here a set of, a panel of uh, organization, of people, of uh, of the Congo, and I think this, this is done the way, the one that the, the audit has been uh, done by the OES, bring results. Nobody's contesting the 8 million, you know, uh, people, fake people into the system. So if that could have been done, let's go in the same way, uh, audit these machines, make sure that this, this work operate the way it has to be, and then, you know, we're going to agree, and uh, yes, it's for the upcoming elections. But for the time being, I can tell you, uh, even the MONUSCO, which is actually the representation of uh, the, the, the Union Nation in uh, the United Nations in the Congo, raised some concerns. So we are not only politicians saying that there, is, uh, there may be trouble who are actually uh, uh, working with us through the, the system, also raise those, those questions. So, and uh, on the other side, President Nanga doesn't want to listen.
Abraham Luakabwanga is the spokesperson of the DRC's opposition UDP as president at Chisakedi on the line from the capital Kinshasa talking to Kumbero Munjarere. Amnesty International says Malawian authorities must urgently overhaul the criminal justice system to protect people with albinism who face the persistent threat of being killed for their body parts. In a report released today titled End Violence Against the People with Albinism Towards Effective Criminal Justice for People with Albinism in Malawi, Amnesty International says that since November 2014, the number of reported crimes against the people with albinism in Malawi has risen to one. 148 cases, including 14 murders and 7 attempted murders, according to police figures. More from Lloyd Kuvea, Amnesty International's researcher in Malawi. The main findings in the report is that uh, we are seeing uh, systemic weaknesses and failings of the justice system, touching on the various sectors of the justice system. So firstly, the police they lack the capacity to effectively investigate these cases, especially forensic, basic forensic investigation skills. Uh, the police need this basic training so that they can efficiently investigate and conclude the investigation, compile the docket, and hand over to a prosecutor to then submit the case before a magistrate. Um, for justice to be done. So there have been delays uh, at the police level in terms of their investigation. And secondly, the state of Malawi is still using police officers to prosecute some of these cases. Now, this is one uh, issue that is worrying amnesty uh, because it burdens the police service. Secondly, they are not legally qualified to be able to submit effectively these uh, cases before a magistrate for justice to be done. So we want to call the Malawi to end the use of police prosecutors by 2020, and they must begin to train more prosecutors who are, who are legally qualified who can prosecute these cases more effectively and efficiently. Thirdly, there are cases of murder, about over 20 of them, that are still pending. And the reason why these cases are still pending for a long time is because there are no lawyers who can defend these cases. Because in the Malawi law, all cases of murder, the accused person must be represented by a legal practitioner. The government does not have resources, that's what they are saying, to be able to pay for the services of these lawyers. Uh, the Malawi law society uh, does not have a, a framework to provide pro bono services uh, so that they can represent um, these accused charged with murder um, on free of service. And uh, the Legal Aid Bureau, which is also supposed to come in and provide legal aid, uh, is inadequately resourced financially, and therefore we are calling on the government of Malawi to, be, to provide uh, adequate resources to the Legal Aid Bureau so that they can assist and chip in so that there's movement mm. in these other cases. So lastly, mm-hmm. um, that we just want uh, Malawi to collaborate with other governments in the Southern region, because there are these uh, murders and crimes that taken cross border nature across uh, Mozambique, Tanzania, South Africa, and so on.
Now, in the report, uh, Amnesty is also raising a lot of concerns that the response of uh, the cases uh, is very slow compared to the criminal investigations. Uh, And of the 148 cases that you've highlighted, how many have been concluded so far, Lloyd? Yes, 45 um, has been concluded out of these 148 cases. And and it's worrying. It's just almost like a third of uh, the cases reported that have been concluded. Now, uh, just uh, finally, before we let you go, uh, your call to authorities, of course, is to really deal with this issue as a matter of urgency. But what message uh, would you be sending out as Amnesty International to just ordinary people because uh, the atrocities are committed by ordinary people who do believe that uh, people with albinism uh, possess some form of, of superpowers, so to speak? Precisely. Thank you so much. One of the things that we have called on as well is the government must do a massive awareness raising campaign uh, to dispel this myth that uh, killing people with albinism and selling their body parts will bring luck to your business, to your political aspirations. Um, this is what we are calling for. The civil society must also chip in and work with the government and the donor community to carry out a massive human rights awareness campaign, massive human rights education uh, to dispel all these needs. Um, and it's not just in Malawi, it's across the region, including South Africa. So this has to be uh, even taken to the public level. So the of state to come up with a commitment of intent um, to ensure that uh, we dispel these needs in the region to stop these uh, uh, senseless attacks and violence against people with albinism. And that is Lloyd Kuvea, Amnesty International's researcher in Malawi, talking to Zikonami. So it is 17.29 Central African time. Here's Chola Netule with your headlines. Thank you, Smirele. Making headlines, political and social activists in the Democratic Republic of Congo are continuing to call for a change to the constitution. Police in Kenya are investigating the cause of the fire at Nairobi's largest open-air market, Gikoma. And finally, 10 suspected militants have been killed and two arrested in police raids across Egypt. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. My name is Ruta Bushoke, musician from Tanzania. You're listening to Channel Africa. Catch me on Facebook, Bushoke Luther King. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective.
world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. It is 17.31 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. You can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa One. Otherwise, you can email us on info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, a new formulation of a drug to prevent excessive bleeding following childbirth could save thousands of women's lives in low and lower middle income countries. This is the crux of a study led by the World Health Organization in collaboration with MSD for Mothers a global initiative to help and prevent uh, to rather to help end preventable maternal mortality and the fairing of pharmaceuticals the study which sought to prove the safety and efficacy of the drug Cabo, rather Carbetosin has been published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Around 70,000 women die each year because of excessive bleeding following childbirth, increasing the risk that their babies also die within one month. To speak to us more about this, we're now joined on the line by Mariana Widmer, who is um, the Technical Officer for Maternal and Perinatal Health at the World Health Organization. Hello, and thank you very much for joining us, Mariana. Hello, good afternoon. Uh, tell us about the new drug. Sorry? Uh, could you tell us about the new drug? Yes, of course. So this new drug, it's a heat-stable drug which will help to prevent uh, thousands of lives. Um, so this new drug, we, we learned about this new drug by doing a clinical trial, which was the largest of its kind, it included 30,000 women from 10 different countries, and it compared the routine treatment that usually is given to the women, that's oxytocin, we compared it with heat-stable carbitocin. And what the study found is that both drugs were equally effective at preventing excessive bleeding after birth, which is a great news. Mm, I, so, uh, yep, you can yes. go ahead. So this new drug... Um, why we are so excited, because for many years we have been looking for a heat-stable product that could be as effective as the oxytocin, and today we can say that we have it. Uh, how do you know that it works? Uh, tell us about the clinical trials. How were they conducted? So in this trial, what we, do, what we did was to inject in a group of uh, women the oxytocin that usually they receive during delivery, and in another group of women, they received this heat-stable carbitocin. So the doctors didn't know which injection were given, but uh, at the end of the trial, we unmasked it, and then we compared the results. And that's why we can say that both drugs are equally effective. Um, how is excessive bleeding after birth currently prevented in many low and lower middle-income countries? So... Uh, all countries are following WHO recommendations, so they are using the oxytocin. But the problem with oxytocin is that it's a drug that has to be kept between 2 and 8 degrees Celsius. It has to be in the fridge all the time. And as you know, in many countries, the electricity systems are not good enough. And sometimes we don't have electricity, so fridges are not working. 
Therefore, oxytocin loses the potency. So oxytocin starts degrading and then becomes less effective, depriving many women of access to this life-saving drug. So that's why we were so interested in finding a heat-stable product. Um, you are saying that um, um, you're finding a heat-stable product. Is that all kinds of heat? Does it work in areas, for example, um, that are around the equator where it can get really, really hot? Yes. And we can say this because the pharmaceutical company did stability studies. So they uh, tested the drug at different temperatures starting for 30 degrees, 40 degrees, and 50 degrees. And we can say that, for example, at 30 degrees can stay continuously for three years and at humidity of 75%, which is amazing. And at 40 degrees and 50. Um, all right. Um, and uh, what different steps will this new drug now undergo before it is added to the World Health Organization's list of drugs for excessive bleeding? So the next step is to update the WHO recommendations on prevention of postpartum hemorrhage. These recommendations are done by an independent guideline development group. So they will assess and evaluate all the evidence available, including the data from this trial. And hopefully, they will recommend the use of carbetosin. We don't know yet, but that will happen in September. So if that guideline development group decides to recommend heat stable carotosin for prevention of postpartum hemorrhage, then we will be able to make a submission to include the product in the essential medicines list. I thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right, so that is Mariana Vidmer, who is the Technical Officer for Maternal and Perinatal Health at the World Health Organization. A world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. It is 17.38 Central African time. Now, the health care of women and those of vulnerable communities in many African countries are in a dire straits after United States President Donald Trump's administration last year imposed and expanded the global gag rule, which prohibits the allocation of U.S. funding to foreign non-governmental organizations that offer abortion services or information about the procedure. Diana Wanyonyi reports from Kenya. It is not well for children, women and young girls in sub-Saharan Africa who depend on foreign NGOs receiving U.S. government health assistance for family planning, maternal and child health, nutrition, HIV and AIDS, infectious diseases, malaria, tuberculosis and neglected tropical diseases. Such non-governmental organizations are, for the first time, required to agree to the global gag rule as a condition of receiving assistance from the U.S. government. According to the policy, providers must agree not to provide information, referrals or services for legal abortion or to advocate for the legalization of the procedure. 
Suzanne Ellers is president of Population Action International, or PI, a global organization advancing the right to affordable, quality contraception and reproductive health care for every woman everywhere. The organization works with the policymakers in Washington and partners in developing countries to remove roadblocks between women and the services and supplies they need. She explains what PI does in relation to reproductive health. We've worked in countries all over the world. Right now we're active in over 35 countries, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa, but increasingly we're busy in Latin America and we're also working in Asia, working in partnership with partners on the ground who know their governments and who want to work with their governments to improve the health and well-being of their communities by targeting women and girls. The gag rule policy is already disrupting services and referral networks, damaging integrated health programs and diverting resources away from direct service delivery. Ellers elaborates on its threats. The rates of unintended pregnancy were going up. Young people, women living in rural areas, women that were living at the lowest levels of poverty were the most impacted and not able to access services. Those communities are already vulnerable and they were made more vulnerable into this policy. We found that recourse to unsafe abortion also increased and therefore that's driving the rates of maternal mortality in many countries. A preliminary report conducted by PAI in Ethiopia in February this year on women's sexual and reproductive health and rights found that adolescents and youth, people living with HIV and AIDS, and sex workers are directly affected by the closure of the previously U.S.-supported health clinics. IPAS is one of the global non-profit organizations that works to increase women's ability to exercise their sexual and reproductive rights and to end deaths and injuries from unsafe abortion. More from Derejo Wondimo, the Policy and Community Mobilization Advisor at IPAS in Ethiopia. IPPF affiliated and Maristops International, they are directly affected by the global group. The Family Guidance Association of Ethiopia reported that due to loss of support from USID, they are forced about 10 sex work clinics and about 21 use model SRS clinics. Close to 1 million women per annum will no longer have access to SRS services. It is expected that 20,000 unintended pregnancy per annum 20 maternal days per annum, uh, 4,000 unsafe abortion is also estimated to this uh, the policy. Kenya is also feeling the effects of the gag rule. Health providers who particularly depend on foreign aid to combat HIV and AIDS and provide reproductive services are confirming the devastating effects in local communities that require medical assistance. Caroline Nyandati, Reproductive Health Coordinator at Kisumu Medical and Education Trust, says that many clinics and health facilities are lacking commodities and integrated services. Because services are not being offered as integrated as before, there are issues of cost. Example, those are facilities that was charging $3 to access cervical cancer service. Immunization, they have to pay $2. Family planning, they have to pay about $5. So if you add that, a woman can't afford, and they would rather not access the services. But in the integrated model, maybe a woman would only pay $2 and would get entire package. Currently, facilities haven't received commodities for the last one year. It is left purely for the partners to fill the gap. For PAI, the solution to Trump's global gag rule is to come up with strategies that will ensure that health care in many countries is not hurt. Back to Susan Ellers, president of PAI. 
This policy will be with us so long as President Trump is in the White House. What we need to do instead is work in partnership with the groups around the world to make sure there's a couple of things. Number one, that they really understand the policy. They understand what it lets them do, what it doesn't let them do, the groups they can work with, the partners they can talk with, and the services they can still provide. We have to build that understanding so groups, even if they choose to comply with the global gag rule, they're still doing as much service as they can to meet the needs of their community. I think we also need to continue to work with governments, both in Africa and the donor countries in Europe and elsewhere, to make sure that we're putting additional resources toward this agenda, um, something that we've done a lot in partnership in countries like Kenya and Malawi, and that within that they are really prioritizing the health needs of women and families. That is Suzanne Ehlers, president of the global organization Population Action International, or PAI. And I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. This is Praveen Gordon, the Minister of Public Enterprises, and I'm listening to Channel Africa. The world remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference. 1745 Central African Time. Here's Wesley Matabula with your economic news. Good evening. Uh, thanks, as Pumelele. The World Economic Forum says it wants to contribute to South Africa's discourse to the growth of the economy. The World Economic Forum is hosting a roundtable discussion with the government in Johannesburg. The event is attended by 70 international business leaders and government officials, and it aims to find ways of addressing South Africa's economic challenges and attract new investment. Oliver Casworth is the WEF spokesperson. We have poverty, we have unemployment, we have very, very striking inequality. Um, There have been uh, promising moves to um, bring society towards a more inclusive um, foundation. But let's be honest, corruption is still a big problem. Rent-seeking is still a big problem. We need to look at ways to find, uh, provide a safety net, but at the same time encourage investors, whether they're from within the country or from without the country, to invest productively, to move away from rent-seeking and to invest in areas that really are going to be the growth drivers.
Meanwhile, South African Finance Minister Antlantlanene says there's been some progress in heeding the call by President Cyril Ramaphosa to attract new investment. Nene was speaking to the media ahead of the roundtable discussion organized by the World Economic Forum in Johannesburg. The gathering is being attended by international business leaders and key government ministers as part of the investment drive. President Cyril Ramaphosa earlier on appointed a team of business and finance experts to scour the globe for 10 billion US dollars in investment to boost the ailing economy. Nene explains. This is uh, indeed one of those building blocks towards task that um, the president uh, put on our shoulders when he announced um, that as government we are going to be building this investment book of a billion US dollars. Uh, of course, you will have seen that in the past few days some of those green shoots are beginning to come up uh, just on Monday. Late Monday, we welcomed um, one of our insurance companies, Old Mutual, back into our shores, uh, bringing back about 10 billion, and that reduces the 100 billion to 90 billion already. And uh, on Tuesday, we were down in East London with the president at uh, Mercedes-Benz uh, plant, and uh, they also announced an expansion which is going to bring in um, 10 billion um, rands. South Africa's uh, power utility ESCOM has tabled a revised offer of 6.2% increase to unions. This after the unions rejected the power utility's last offer of 5%. In terms of the new offer, ESCOM will increase workers' salaries by 6.2% in the first year and 6% in the subsequent two years. The three major unions, NUMSA, NUM and Solidarity, have agreed to consult with their members on the new offer and will give feedback on Friday next week. The unions were demanding a 9% increase. William Mababa is with NUM. And under any normal procedures, when an offer that is different from the previous offer is tabled, on, is tabled we, we need to go back to the members and get a mandate. So I want to put it very clear that we don't go back to persuade the workers. We go back to give the feedback to the members so that they must give us a mandate. And then after they've given us a mandate, we will come back to the wage negotiations and we will then table what the mandate from our members is. Prosecutors in Paris have charged a cement giant Lafarge with complicity and crimes against humanity in connection with alleged dealings with IS militants in Syria. The BBC's Theo Leajit has the details. The charges against Lafarge concern the actions of its subsidiary in Syria. It's accused of having paid militant groups to allow the factory to keep operating. Human rights groups claim the company left its workforce to fend for themselves. Eight former managers of the company are also being formally investigated. Lafarge Holsim, the parent company of Lafarge, has admitted that there was what it called an unprecedented violation of internal regulations and compliance rules. However, it says it will contest some of the charges. Financial indicators, uh, the dollar at 10.17, Botswana Pula 9.95, Zambian Kwachan, BRICS currencies, uh, the dollar is at uh, 3.82, Brazilian Real at 63.13, Russian Ruble at 68.59, Indian Rupee at 6.59, Chinese Yuan and at 13.69 to the South African Rand. Also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and 86 cents against the euro. Commodities gold $1,252, platinum $853 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil at $77.42 per barrel. And that's your economics news.
Thank you very much, Usani. Your sports news now. Here's Mosibudi Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, the Egyptian Football Association President Hani Aburida has admitted that f- um, fasting before the World Cup had been a big factor in the poor performance of the side. Although he did not say it, Ramadan could have had a significant effect on the teams um, on the teams of Morocco as well as Tunisia, who have all made an early exit in the first round. Now, Aburida added that he would like to replace outgoing. Head coach Hector Coupe with Morocco's Javier Renard, but can do nothing while the latter is still under a contract. Well, Brazil's team doctor Rodrigo Lasma has claimed that a hotel mattress could have caused the injury that forced Marcelo um, to miss Wednesday's clash with Serbia. Now, Brazil. Um, ensured that they would top Group E with a 2-0 win over Serbia in their final group fixture. Real Madrid's Marcelo was absent from the match. However, the fullback suffering back um, spasms in the build-up. Now, Dr. Lasma admitted that it was still too early to make an accurate diagnosis, but has suggested that the defender will be fit for Brazil's last round of 16 match against Mexico on Monday. While in the action that is currently underway in Group H, Senegal is um, currently a goal um, down to Colombia with Colombia leading by a single goal to nil meaning that Colombia will qualify for the next round of the tournament meanwhile Japan went down to Poland by a single goal to nil also meaning that Japan despite the defeat will still qualify for the last round of 16. On to tennis you, Serena Williams has been embroiled in a controversy over the doping test at her home in Florida. According to reports, a USADA doping control officer came to her house on the 14th of June but went away without a sample. Rather than complying with the request, Williams is understood to have complained that she's being unfairly treated by USADA. She had already been tested five times by the organization just in this year alone, whereas most other Af- um, American players have been tested once or not at all. Now, according to USADA, the fact that Williams did not give a sample does not make this an official mistest because it was a cut-off um, visit from the tester and did not fall within the 60-minute whereabouts window that every athlete has to fill out each day. Now to rugby news, seasoned Blitzbocker squad member Werner Cox says their World Series success will make them a target at next month's Sevens World Cup in the USA. The Blitzbocker exhibited excellent consistency to remain in contention in the 2017-2018 World Rugby Sevens Series, which they ultimately defended by pepping Fiji in the post by two points. While the Blitzbocker won only two finals in Dubai and Paris, they made the semi-finals in every tournament and that allowed them to keep the other teams in check. However, with the Sevens World Cup in San Francisco being straight knockout, a lapse in concentration could be fatal. And finally, South Africa's national women's softball team has qualified for this year's World Championships. The championships will take place in Japan in August. Softball South Africa President Masilo Masitela says this is a huge achievement. Uh, it means a lot for the for the sport in the sense that uh, the current uh, young ones who are in the pipeline in the sport, when they see the seniors going to Japan to represent the country, it, it makes them, you know, try to to fulfill and get to that point so that they can 
also at some point going to represent the country with pride in somewhere in the world. And the Zion Sports News at the Sao. I'm back with more sports news just before 8 p.m. Central African time. Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals. This is Africa Digest. Let's read about some stories. At least 15 people have been killed in a fire at a market in Nairobi. Congolese continue to plead for the country to have a new constitution ahead of the elections. And healthcare of African women in dire straits after Trump's global gag rule. That wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Ospomele Lezoni, producer Ronald Peary, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, and the rest of the African Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. Send us your emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. You can WhatsApp us plus 27763003327 or tweet us on channel Africa One. We leave you with Sonajo Bate, and the song is called Gambia.